This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. We just had a provincial election. We were all very engaged. There was loads of passion. I dare say a little bit of anger. There was a higher than usual voting turnout, which suggests, I think, a positive thing. I think that's a positive thing. Uh, regardless of why you went, whether it was because you were enraged or whether because you were really backing one of the candidates, doesn't matter. You went out and voted. That's a good thing. Anyway, what happens if you're one of the candidates? You've never been an MPP before. You end up winning the election and now you find, I actually have to go and do this job where does it start? Well, this week was the first week. They, they haven't been sworn in yet, but this was the first week for the new and I guess a recurring, incumbent, not recurring, the incumbent MPPs to go and figure it all out. And one of those from this area, one of the two, I think, newcomers, we invited Sandy Shaw, who won uh, NDP in this part of the city to come. She couldn't make it. Her schedule wouldn't allow it. But Donna Skelly, who won in the Flamborough-Glanbrook all the writings are too long. Anyway, Donna, congratulations. Thank you. I am so, so happy. So happy to be here. Well, we're, we're glad to have you. Although I must say, this, I'm guessing this has been a bit of a um, a head filling. I don't mean like expanding like ego. I mean, like a lot of stuff going into your head week when you go down for the, the it initiation. It is an awfully long drive as well. It's it is. funny because uh, yesterday we went for caucus and I left here at quarter after six in the morning and made it by 920. It's a little different than driving to City Hall. <laughs> when they start talking about that backup uh, just at the light at St. Joe's, you think, you know what, I could wait that extra two minutes. But it's so... It's Don't such the Conservatives f- offer private helicopters for <laughs> no, all the MPPs? Hey, we, we have already started <laughs> cutting on things. And I'll tell you, one of the first things that they cut, and I really am proud of it, is that we are not going to be paid. Uh, the taxpayers are not going to be covering the cost of our lunch. That is off the table. It's a uh, pet peeve of yours, as I recall, from City Hall It here. is, it is. It's funny because uh, one of the first things I, I chose to do when I was elected as Ward 7 Councillor was to say I'm going to pay for my lunch. And um, that caused a little Did bit of angst. Did that make you poorer or thinner? <laughs> Actually, the food, the food's pretty good. Um, it, was, it wasn't a lot of money, but I just didn't feel comfortable. I remember leaving the, the uh, council chambers and having this, this lunch provided and walking past all of the assistants, and they're sitting there thinking, you know what, they're paying for my lunch, and it just didn't make sense. And uh, our first caucus meeting, we were there uh, from 9.30 in the morning until about 4 o'clock, 3.34, and for lunch... Our premier-elect, Doug Ford, said, um, folks, it's pizza, and I'm, I'm paying for it. And he took out his visa, and he covered the cost. We ordered in pizza. And from that point on, we went to um, Mama Ford's house for a barbecue afterwards. And it was Costco burgers and, and hot dogs. Just in case people are wondering... Uh, we are not going to be talking politics per se today. That was, you know, the cost cutting on the, bur- that, that's a freebie. Um, but we're not going to be talking politics per se. We, I want to talk about the process here because again, there are, I don't know how many new MPPs in your party and NDP and probably not many in the Liberals. Um, not this election anyway. But it's interesting to me the process of how this would work because you get down there, you, get, you arrive by 930 or whatever. Do you even know where to go when you get there? No, and what happened, uh, and it didn't really hit home, won the election on 
the Thursday evening, and, and that was another whole story because I was waiting on the results to come in, and I was watching a channel which I found out afterwards didn't spend a lot of money updating their, uh, buying the, the <laughs> software to update the, the results. So the result kept, they weren't refreshing the results, and they kept saying that I was losing, and I was very nervous. And, and then it wasn't until my friends were texting me and saying, no, 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 you know, Global has said you won, and this person, and finally I realized, because we also had people at every poll calling in the results, that, yeah, I waited until every single one was, uh, I had learned the results before I, I uh, agreed that, yes, I had won the election. So that was exciting, but it didn't really hit home until... Saturday when I received a notification that I had to fill out forms for security checks, and I thought, this is real. And then the... Um, first, Who does that come from? That from- comes from the party, but the OPP have to um, go through all of your, your... provide security clearance, and so you fill out all of your forms. And So you could have potentially then won... An, not you, but I mean someone could have potentially won a seat and then been found to be a security threat? I don't think so, because as a candidate... Uh, we, You'd like to believe you've been vetted. I have been. I have been, and every candidate, at least within our party, is vetted, and it's quite costly. And that's part of your, when you run, you have to pay a certain amount of money, and that is non-refundable. And uh, that goes, part of it goes towards a security check. For a number of reasons, parties don't want to, you know, discover that this person has a criminal past. Um, and that's probably the last thing we needed <laughs> in our tumultuous campaign. Um, and and so part of it is is for the security check, but uh, then you have to move forward, and, the, and then the OPP is brought in. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. In studio with MPP Donna Skelly. Elect. Uh, elect, yes. Is, have you gotten used to that yet? No. Not no, at all. Okay. I was at, actually I was at City uh, Hall today, cleaning out my office and putting it in a blue box because I needed a blue box as well. And uh, I still consider myself a city councillor. We are talking with Donna about the about learning how to be an MPP because you know we don't really think about the fact you elect someone and well look they're a politician and they do their stuff but there I think would be an awful lot to learn so have you been how many times would you say you'd been to Queen's Park period in your life many times a few times well probably more than the average Ontarian because of my job my previous job as a journalist and but standing on the front steps or in the legislature true but then I had run this is my third time running so I had attended previous uh, caucus meetings um, for the Conservative Party and I'd say I'd been there about maybe in all seven or eight times Okay, so you get to the door. Now, you've already, last weekend, you said you got your clearance. I don't know how fast they do that, but do you just walk? No, I haven't. I don't have it yet. Oh, so I do you walk up to the door? I had to submit my papers. Yes, you walk up to the door. And say, hi, and I'm say, Donna. say, hi, I'm Donna. <laughs> Actually, I didn't do that. I I, uh, I arrived uh, with a friend, a fellow MPP elect uh, from Burlington, uh, Jane McKenna, and she drove. And the reason she drove is she had a parking pass because she had, once you're an MPP, you have parking for life at Queen's Park. So we said, let's take your car <laughs> because I don't know where to park. And uh, so I kind of followed her. Uh, she knew where the washrooms were and she knew most of the security and that. So it was interesting, but they, we had to show ID and, and yeah, you're on the list and, and then off to. And do they just point you to mm-hmm. go they that knew. way? They said, go into the main chambers and you will be handed uh, information. And we were handed a little uh, uh, bag and inside the bag had uh, our our pass, actually our security tag, 
and binder with your benefits and all of the things that you need to. Um, it's like the start of boot camp. It was more like the start of kindergarten, <laughs> to really? be very honest with you. And such such a, a diverse group of people, all different ages. Some had Christine Elliott was there, and she had, of course, run before, but it was her first time back to the legislature, and so she came. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. And you could see, you could when you walk through those doors, it's the sense of history. And, and there's such a, an overwhelming feeling of power when you walk in and you realize, you know, we, we have an opportunity here that is just remarkable. And less than 2,000 people have ever held that position uh, as MPP for the province of Ontario. So you really are part of a very special group. And, and it is humbling. And, uh, and, and it, Nervous? It's, no. Exciting. Exciting. No nerves when you're sitting there looking around going, no, okay. No, not at all. Not at all. I, I was more eager and anxious to get get on with things, but just the absolute um, thrill of having an opportunity like this to be able to sit in those chambers and, and make some decisions. So you're talking about in the legislative chamber. Mm-hmm. Do they promptly give you your seat? No, no. You don't know where you're going to sit? No, because that is determined by the party. They share with you where... Our party will be sitting and other parties. Based on what your role is. Based. If no, you're a backbencher, cabinet correct, minister, whatever else. Correct. And, of course, which party sits on which side. And um, Wouldn't I'm the not, conservatives be on the right? Well, if you're facing the speaker, <laughs> actually, we're on the left. Oh. But if you're not facing the speaker, we're on the right. One way or another, the conservatives will be <laughs> on, on the right. We're on the speaker's right. Yeah. How's that? And he had, uh, he shared with us some some very strong advice some solid advice and and one thing he wanted us to remember is um, that if you're not going just remember what you're saying and how you are going to present information or argue your case because um, if you're not going to say that to people outside the chamber if you wouldn't say it to a dear friend or or a family member a loved one would you really want to to say it to somebody simply because they share uh, an opposing viewpoint? And I thought it was it was valid because as we valid, know, but it's advice that has never ever been followed <laughs> in a parliament or legislature. I wish, I wish it was. I wish it was because unfortunately, as you and I both know, um, politics has become a, a very ugly sport, and not just with people who are political, but people who are sitting on the outside and offering their views. And and unfortunately. Um, any sort of respect has has uh, passed us by long ago. So you get the binder with your benefits and your stuff. You get mm-hmm. your. There's got to be some other guidebook. Do you get a huge binder with how no. the Ontario legislature works? No. What you get, we, there will be other classes. Uh, these are just the very first class. We met with the integrity commissioner. We have to meet with him personally. He shared with us things too that we can and cannot do, and and they were valid. Um, you know, what you can accept in terms of, you know, you can't even really accept a meal from someone or if somebody offered you a ticket to a game. Do you do you accept that? And can you go with friends or is that considered uh, inappropriate? So these are just things that you have to be very careful of. Uh, what you can consider within your budget and what isn't, uh, you aren't allowed to expense. Uh, and then just code of conduct. What is harassment? How do you how do you work within your own um, caucus and within Parliament? And uh, as as an MPP, your staff are actually your staff. They work for you, not for the party and not for the legislature. They work for you and how you have to um, carry on as a boss. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML.
we're chatting about the process. We never really think about it. The process of actually going from being elected to being a politician. Do you know how to write a bill? I mean, as simple as it sounds, do no. you know what the process is? No, that? I, what I'm Would alert, most people? I don't think so. I, I think my background, having served on city council, has been a tremendous um, uh, information, um, valuable uh, gathering information process. And that is helping me a lot as I move into this next stage of my, my career. Um, but I think there are things that I'm still struggling with. For example, if I have an issue that I would like a minister to perhaps advance within the ministry, how do I get it in front of that minister? How does it become law? How does it become even a priority to be discussed? First, second, and third reading. And and these are things that we will be uh, learning over the course of the next um, few weeks. But the, the swearing-in ceremony for cabinet and for the premier-elect is the 29th. That's next Friday, mm. a week uh, this Friday. Friday. It's a steep learning curve. It, it, well, for for many of them, it will be. And then we are brought in, uh, the rest of the entire legislature is sworn in uh, during the week of the 16th of July. And so at that point, uh, our uh, premier-elect said that he wants to um, call the legislature back during the summer. He wants to address a number of things. And so we're going to have to be ready to understand what happens. I didn't realize at one point you have to give an hour speech. <laughs> And I'm going to insist that you listen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Do you? Uh, and again, I, I suspect that this is probably the case with every newcomer politician of every political stripe who's ever gone in there. But do you even fully know how to navigate your way through the system when you want to go to a minister or you want to no. get something? I mean, or no. is that just all part of figuring it out? It, it is, and even who the key players are within your. Well, own. you don't know that yet. No, and well, if even nobody the knows key that. positions and what those, what they they and uh, what those titles really mean, and how much clout do they have, and and what is the process involved in, in you know, uh, securing a meeting with certain ministers or the or the premier, and it's not just us. Of course, the um, the opposition parties have their own critics and their own leader, and I'm sure that they also have a pecking order in terms of how you get. A Council with people who have uh, the most authority. So it is a steep learning curve, uh, but it's an exciting one. It really is. When you were down there in the legislative chamber for the in- introduction, right. the, what, was it just the conservatives or all the parties? No, the there? first day, Monday, when we arrived, and people are still trying to figure out. Actually, it's funny because Sandy Shaw was there, and, and of course, Sandy was is the MPP elect for Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas, and we've been friends for years. So we were kind of taking pictures. Look at that, of each a conservative. And I an know, MPP can I know, get along. and and you know, I have the utmost respect for her, and of course, she was the um, the newbie for the NDP, and I'm the newbie for the PCs from this area, and and we were chatting about uh, just just about how odd it was that we were standing in this room and how remarkable it is and how wonderful it is. I have the utmost respect for Sandy, and I'll tell you right now, I hope that uh, despite the fact that we have very different political leanings, I know we will work really well together for for, uh, for people in this area. But other than you and Sandy, who were obviously getting along mm-hmm. fine, were the other conservatives oh, we were, glaring across no. the room at the NDP? We were trying to figure out who was who, right? <laughs> Come on, we'll meet some NDP. Sorry, I am NDP. Okay, let's <laughs> meet some more of your party. No, it was interesting because everyone was friendly, of course. And I have a funny feeling that does happen uh, outside of the, the theatrics of the theater of um, the legislature. In, most, in many cases. Mm-hmm. In, in, many, in some in cases. Some cases. Let's, let's leave it at that. Do you, did you get your office? No. Do you get no. an office? You get an we office. We get an office. And you don't know where you'll be 
though. No. We have, I think the government has an office outside of Queen's Park in another building. Some, because our um, majority is so large, we will have a few offices within Queen's Park itself, within the main building. And then uh, the opposition will have many of their buildings there. We have a caucus room there, but we have to find out which caucus room. And of course, the sitting members have to move and everyone's moving their office by Friday. So it's, it's a bit chaotic. We don't know where we're going. We don't have an office locally. I don't have a telephone number locally. I don't have a cell phone number. It's a lot to do. There is a lot to do just to find an office and get furniture. And, have you ever hired a staff before for anything? Yes. I mean, for your city. Yes, city for job. city staff. And but how many people are you going to have to hire now for this? It's pretty similar, actually, to maybe one more body over my city hall staff. Anybody, because now the uh, the cabinet has to be chosen relatively quickly, anybody like sucking up to the premier, hanging around, <laughs> obviously, noticeably, <laughs> hey, Doug, <laughs> need lunch, Doug? Need a drink, Doug? I'll uh, get yeah, you a drink, you know that Doug. Pizza, I'll pay for yeah, it. Yeah, I'll pay for that. Any, <laughs> anybody looking like they're sucking up for big jobs? Put it this way: you have seventy-four people who, besides the uh, premier, that uh, have been elected to um, represent the conservatives, and probably seventy-four who hope that they're going to be getting something. He has a tough job, including we have, you. Well, let's put it this way: he has a really tough job. We have some remarkably talented people, and uh, I'm proud of each and every one of them. He's got a tough job ahead. Where do you find your staff? We only have a couple of minutes, though. Where do you find your staff? Because there's only so many people who actually know how Queen's Park works. So does the staff just constantly get recycled? No, no. I think the key is knowing people. First of all, my priority is my riding. And so I, uh, I'm looking for staff who understand the needs of the people in my area and who are interested, first of all, who have the same, share the same values that I share and um, can work well together. I think that's more important than anything. And that's my priority right now is, is making sure that the people of Flamborough Glanbrook are really represented well. And I have a goal. My objective is within the context of our plan for the party, and that is to advance and, and to seriously to return uh, Ontario to the economic engine of the country. And part of that, a key player will be Hamilton and more specifically Flamborough Glanbrook. We have the airport. We have a $2 billion agri-food sector. And I will be an advocate for all of that in, in at Queen's Park. Does it feel like, even though it's only been two days down there, or mm-hmm. one day, two, two days, days, is your head completely swimming with trying to learn all this? Yes. How's that? Yes. And it's not and just swimming trying to learn study. it. It's, uh, I am. And, and again, I'll go back to having the experience at City Hall has been invaluable. But it's the other things, you know, getting security for this. How do I get, who do I go to to ensure that I can get staff hired? How do I get my office? Who pay? Well, a representative of the queen will be signing the lease. <laughs> it sounds bizarre, but that's how you get a lease signed for your constituency office. How does the equipment get there? What kind of security is needed on, on the equipment? And do you know any of these answers yet? Uh, a few. Actually, I do. I know who's going to be signing the lease on behalf of the queen. How's that? But do they, we just got to go, but do it, it, eventually, do they give you a big binder that has all the answers or do you just have to take the notes and remember Take the notes and you figure it out. It's going to be interesting for sure. Could you, I say we're late, but could you have done this, do you think, without being involved at, as a councillor at City Hall and having that experience? Could you go into this cold from I, no I could political have gone background? into it cold, but I'll tell you, it. I don't know how I could have done it. This experience at City Hall has been tremendous. Trust me. 
We will be uh, chatting further with you, with Sandy. And again, you know what? Uh, kudos to both of you because we talk about politics as a blood sport these days. Kudos to you, both of you. Very different parties, very different philosophies. But if you can get along and represent the city with two people who can be civil. She's a dear friend that and is a, we will that is remain a, dear That friends. is a very good start. Donna Skelly, former Ward 7 Councillor, now MPP elect. Enjoy next Friday. Friday it is Friday, right? Uh, actually, this uh, Friday is my last day as no, city councillor, but, but swearing-in swearing in is actually not till the 16th the of 16th. July. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. I hope uh, that you have seen the highlight clip from the BC Lions game on the weekend. I hope you have, because quite frankly, it is enjoyable to watch. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, if you like... Funny things, and I think for most people this was considered funny, not for one who we're going to talk about. Uh, Seeing a guy jump out of the stands wearing only his underpants and a BC Lions shirt and run around the field, not quite a streaker. He was was one pair of underpants away from being a streaker, but you get the point. Uh, Run around on the field like people sometimes do at sporting events. Occasionally, I don't know if in this particular case, but occasionally enriched with a full supply, a full tummy full of liquor. Um, Anyway, he ran around and was being what people do when they run around on the field. And one of the BC lines, a guy named Marcel Young, decided he'd pretty much had enough of this guy's show. Took about four steps towards him. And as football players sometimes do, absolutely obliterates the guy. Just blew him off his feet. Great hit. I mean, if this was in a game, it would be a highlight reel hit. Just crushed him. Now, the guy who jumped on the field was not criminally charged. He was given a $115 trespassing ticket and he was barred from the stadium for a year. However, it is 2018 and our friend, the underpants wearing runner arounder on the field has now lawyered up. And you know what that means. Almost certainly a lawsuit is going to follow against either the BC Lions or the player or some combination thereof. His lawyer, uh, fr- who put out a press release today, announced that he has suffered the, not the lawyer, the, the gentleman, the guy, has suffered serious injuries, including a mild traumatic brain injury. I got to believe most people hearing this are saying, come on, give me a break. But then again, it is 2018 and I think people may be expecting this. Anyway, wanted to bring in a personal injury lawyer to find out if, in fact, this guy was completely out of his mind or possibly has a case. Michael Kemeny is with the Morris Law Group. He joins you now. Michael, thanks for doing this today. I'm here. Do you believe... Now, obviously, this is a case that is going to be judged if it goes to trial or goes to a settlement on its own merits. But from a starting point, does a guy who jumps on the field and runs around at a football game have any case at all for launching some sort of lawsuit? Well, uh, just because uh, someone is doing something that we think is foolish and wrong doesn't necessarily mean that someone else who does something in response isn't doing something wrong. So uh, as I took a look at the video once you called me and asked me if I would speak today, it looked to me like it was a pretty strong hit uh, that uh, Marcel Young put on uh, this man. And uh, I would think that uh, 
if if this man goes to a personal injury lawyer, that there is likely to be a claim, uh, just as you indicated. And uh, it seems to me that there would be a possible uh, success to the claim, uh, maybe not completely, but partially. So it's not a, uh, it's not necessarily a case where a judge is immediately going to throw this out and simply say, listen, if you had simply kept your butt in your seat like the other 40,000 people at the game did, none of them walked out with a concussion. You would have walked out without a concussion too. It's not necessarily that simple. It's not that simple. And you can think of it uh, from a simple point of view, just because one person is not driving correctly in a motor vehicle accident uh, doesn't mean that another person isn't also driving incorrectly. But is there not a sense of, uh, I don't know what the right word would be for this, Michael, but I'll, I'll call it chronologic responsibility, meaning if the guy doesn't start the action by getting on the field, Marcel Young never has to hit him, therefore you can start eliminating things that would not have happened had the first action not been taken. But uh, Marcel uh, Young had a chance to do nothing, and uh, there was no need for him to do anything. Uh, I think that he took the step, and as a result of that, uh, if the claim came to our office, uh, what we would do, we would uh, uh, he'd, he'd, he'd call the office, we would interview him on the phone, uh, and uh, make a decision whether or not we would actually see him. If we then decided on the basis of the phone information that his, that there is a uh, potentially legitimate claim, we would bring him in and interview him and then make a decision whether or not we would take the case. And uh, the, We don't know everything at the present time. So you and you don't necessarily know everything until you actually uh, start going through the case and gathering up all the productions that you need. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML. I, I must say, and I'm sure this is not going to be news to you, that these are the kind of things that drive people nuts about lawyers and the law. That we look and we say, this guy did something stupid, he made a bad decision, he misbehaved, he paid a price for it, he may be a little bit injured, but you know what? Cut your losses, call it a day, admit you were wrong, and get on with it rather than finding someone else to blame. Well, there are other things to think about, and actually you uh, mentioned something that I didn't think of uh, when you called me initially and I started to look at this, and that is that uh, this fan was probably uh, inebriated. And the question is, how did he get the alcohol? Who allowed him in a football game to have so much alcohol that he isn't able to control himself? So there are a lot of possibilities here that we... Uh, may not know about. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having. I'm laughing not at the situation. I'm laughing at the people at Tim Hortons Field going, "Wait, we can't sell more beer." Um, but no, I mean your point. Obviously, that's something that a lawyer could look at and say that we could right. point the finger at the beer sellers and the stadium and the team. That's that's right. So you don't, you don't. We don't know all the circumstances, and uh, we don't know what condition this person was in. Uh, uh, was was there a, a mental stability issue? 
who knows what all the circumstances are. So what we would have to do, uh, we would have to make the choice as to whether or not we wanted to take this case. And just because someone calls our office doesn't necessarily mean that we would take it. And if and someone calls anybody, any other office doesn't mean that they would take it as well. Um, so we really don't know. And the, the other thing I just wanted to mention, based on how the conversation was going, is that there's something that's called contributory negligence. So that uh, if someone has a claim, it may be that they have done something wrong uh, in order for this uh, incident to take place or accident to take place. And uh, maybe when the file is ultimately resolved, instead of having a claim that's valued at 100% of what their injuries and damages are, maybe it's 50%, maybe it's 10%. Sometimes we have cases where uh, people are extremely injured and very responsible for uh, the accident that they're in, but someone might be even just uh, minorly responsible, and that would make a big difference. So this person, potentially, the argument could be, this person, when he ran onto the field, was accepting the liability or the responsibility for a ticket and maybe for even a criminal charge, but not for being blasted by a football player and injured. That's possibly correct. You know, that's that's it, and and not, you know, not for not for all of the damages. He's going to be responsible for some of his damages. And if I, if if this ended up being a trial, and in Ontario, uh, most likely what would happen, the people that we would we would be suing, would be uh, choosing to have a jury make the decision. You never know what's going to happen. So you're rolling the dice a little bit and taking a chance. We just have a couple minutes left. One more thing. We have seen cases in sports where athletes have been attacked on the field. The Probably the most famous one was back in 93 when Monica Selish, the tennis player, was stabbed in the, in the back during a match. We've also seen first base coaches for the Kansas City Royals attacked by fans. Is it a lockdown guaranteed defense for the player to say, look, he was on the field. I didn't know if he had a knife. I didn't know if he had a gun. I was worried for my safety. Therefore, I did this to help the security guards. Does that get him off the hook completely? Uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. So I can't, I, I can't tell what's going to happen with um, uh, 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 that other kind of situation. It is certainly one that, uh, that, ter- that people are noticing and uh, creates conversation. Michael Kemeny from the Morris Law Group, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to talk okay. about it today. All right. Thank Thanks you so very much. much. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Let us bring in our friend Bubba O'Neill, who... Now, sir, you know the new marijuana law doesn't kick in until October the 17th. Yes. You can't go out after the newscast behind CHCH's studio and sample the product. No, we had some uh, <laughs> a little newsroom drama. So. No, no, no problem, no worry. And I'm only teasing, Bubba is not doing the news high. <laughs> no matter what you might think, he's not doing the news. No, I'm kidding with you. Hey, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, I got a quick question for you. We're not going to talk about, uh, we were just chatting about the school thing with Scott Parks. We're not going to talk about that. Um, we've done that one. People can let me know what they think. Radley at 900CHML.com. They have been all day for sure. But I got one for you because tomorrow night, something is going to happen that has never, ever happened 
to Hamilton before in the history of Hamilton. And that is that barring something completely bonkers that no one is anticipating, a Hamilton basketball player not only is going to be drafted in the NBA draft, he is going to be taken in the top half of the first round, possibly in the top 10, maybe if rumors are correct, by the Toronto Raptors. The guy's name is Shea Gilgis Alexander. How big a deal is this? That's a huge deal. I mean, this is just a continue a continuum of what the the great Canadian surge of basketball players in the NBA. Um, you know, it, it's just getting the, the talent pool is increasing, the interest is rising, the talent is has been unbelievable, and these guys, these kids, you know, and some of them as young as 12 and 13 years old, all have aspirations to play in the NBA. And I'm telling you, by 10 years. I mean, we're already, Canadians already make up the second amount, or the, you know, other than Americans, the most amount of players, international players in the NBA now. I mean, 10 years ago, we would have thought that was, you know, just impossible. And I'm telling you, as you look at the competition narrow, I mean, look what we just saw in St. Catharines recently. The Americans did beat Canada in the final at the uh, America's Championship, FIBA America's Championship. But we're going to see that bridge, that bridge get closer and closer, as it already is right now. Uh, you know, and that will carry on to the under-18s, the under-19s, and I think eventually on to the, the, the players. Because right now, Canada doesn't have the depth that the states have, but if you were to put five players on five players in the NBA, you could actually have a very good game. Here's the thing that I don't think most people realize, and, and, and I don't think I'm overstating this, because many people, most people even, Bubba, don't know the name Shea Gilgis-Alexander yet. And there's a reason for that. He was a kid who was here for a couple of years in high school, but then went to the States to a prep school. He wasn't around to play his high school ball. He went to Kentucky for one year. He just he hasn't been on the big stage very long. And quite frankly, when he got to Kentucky, he was not seen as a superstar, nope. but he became that. He wasn't a starter. He became that. So he was not a guy who has been a spotlight player in this area. However, what's amazing about what's going to happen tomorrow when he gets drafted, and he will get drafted, and as I say, it'll be early in the first round. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, one year from tonight, arguably will be the most well-known, most famous Hamilton athlete that is out there. Well, he, he, he will definitely have all kinds of eyes. And I'll be honest, I mean... It really, I mean, if you're if the Raptors find a way, who don't have a first round pick, no, they have to trade course, to get one if they want. According it. to several ESPN sources, they are exploring all options at this point, and they've already said that uh, you know at the end of the year, there's been rumors out there that you know any player is available on the Raptors for the right price. Um, you know, and I'm talking, you know, DeRozan, Lowry, anyone to remodel this team because there's there's going to be a retooling of this club, and you know, this club is, I think, as it exists, is kind of gone as far as they can go, and changes are needed. And you know what, a fresh breath uh, of air and and some youthful exuberance. Again, the Shea Gills Alexander can play the point. Uh, I don't the way the NBA goes right now. These players are stepping in immediately. I mean, you know, this isn't like some sports like baseball where guys take three to four years to develop. The NBA, several of these players, are, at least by their second year, are starters. And he's a guy that's already played in a big tournament situation, takes big shots, second leading scorer on the team, uh, first in assists, first in steals. He's a big time player. But once you are a starter in the NBA, um, again, among am, among athletes from Hamilton right now, and even in the recent past, who is going to be 
more well-known than this guy, even though most people don't know his name right now. I mean, Key Nurse, who's doing exceptionally well and plays in the national team, she is in the discussion. But if you're a starter in the NBA, he immediately jumps to the front of the pack of the biggest big-time Hamilton athletes. There's no doubt about that. I will say it also is affected. It will be That sort of knowledge, I think, will be affected. I mean, if he ends up with Charlotte or someone like that, or Phoenix, I mean, Phoenix, I know, pick first overall. But if he ends up in one of those markets, I think that could be affected. But if he's especially on the east side of the, of the United States, and, of course, as we said, even the Raptors, I, I totally am on board with what you're saying right there. The, the teams that are allegedly in the mix to get him, because every mock draft has him going, the highest that any mock draft that I could find had him going was 8th to Cleveland, but almost every other one had him between 11 and 15, which means he's either going to Charlotte, to the Los Angeles Clippers, or to the Washington Wizards, or unless the Raptors are able to make the trade and bring him. None of those teams, the Clippers, the Hornets, and the Wizards, none of those teams are going to necessarily help his exposure, but the fact, again, that you've got someone from this, he is going to be someone that kids hear. I mean, if you're listening and you're 50, 60, 70 years old, Mm -hmm. it's probably not that big a deal. Your kids will know who this kid is, and if they happen to be walking down the street and see this guy, he'll be noticeable. He's six foot six with a seven foot wingspan. You notice a guy like him. If they see him, it will be a big, big deal. It's absolutely a big deal, and again, you know, and again, I just think that the effect of of a player like him, you know, getting to the NBA and excelling, just again, can, I, I I just see the benefits, and I, I really do. Um, you talked about the fact that he went to a prep school in the United States. What we're seeing right now in terms of the development of basketball in this country right now is that these prep schools are now in Canada, so you're seeing more and more of these outstanding high-level amateur prospects playing at the prep schools here at the prep school level before they end up in the NCAA. And, of course, with the one-and-done um, situation that you know, the players are allowed to do right now, and Kentucky is you know, famous for you know, pumping out guys that just spend one year in university and go on to the pros. Uh, again, the level of Canadian plays, players, their, 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 their ability to, to go right to the pros, their ability to you know, mature through the NCAA, you know, whether they do stay one year or two years, I mean, the level is just so high right now. Um, and, and, I, and I'll go as far as saying, too, our, the new basketball, professional basketball league in, in Hamilton, that we have teams in Niagara and Guelph that start next May. That's going to go only, only further, you know, the options for these players to improve and get themselves to the NBA. Uh, one more thing before we go, and that is uh, it's long been... I don't know if the word is accepted. It's long been a theory anyway that when Vince Carter came to Toronto that he uh, single-handedly or at least in a big way pumped up basketball in this country, that his slam dunk contest win, that his, his play with the Raptors, the way he played really got kids geeked up to play basketball. Uh, it, can, it be, can it work the same way on a more specific stage? If you have a Hamilton guy that goes early on do you believe that that can affect basketball in this city, not just in the country, but in this city? Absolutely. These guys are laying tracks. And, and hey, and kudos to many of the high schools, the separate school board, the, um, the, you know, the Hamilton-Wentworth public school board. This has long been a hotbed of hot, amazing athletes that are ready to explode in terms of many sports. But basketball especially, and we could go back many, many years, 
And what we're seeing is I, I challenge anyone to go to McMaster's Burge Gymnasium, go to the, the, the facility at Mohawk and watch these teams and compare them to when you went to school. The basketball that's being played by these kids at this at those levels at college and university right now, right in this area, and of course you'd have to add Brock. They're an outstanding program uh, as well. Uh, Redeemer College as well too. We've had some great years. The level of play is unbelievable for these kids. So I think this is just the beginning of something special, and I think it's even better for us that you know so many of these kids. Uh, that are that are growing and selling right in this area. I got to tell you, when I was in university, I actually got a tryout <laughs> with the Ryerson Rams basketball team. Now Ryerson now is an unbelievably good basketball team. The fact that I got a tryout with that team says so much about where basketball has gone. Because I was what was I was tall, and that was it. I was tall, and that was the extent of my skill set, was tallness. You think Ray Rana would have a look at you right now? And, and even then, me being tall, like me being six foot four, six foot five, then it was like, hey, let's see if he can at least shoot a four foot jump shot and maybe, uh, you know, come off the bench. Now, I'd, first of all, I'd be a small guy. And second of all, they would not allow me within a thousand meters of the gym, not even with a press pass based on where Canadian basketball is right now. And then, now you take those guys, and the even best of those go down to the NCAA. The guys like Shea Gilgis-Alexander are at another level above that. It is a totally, totally different world. But, but think about that. In your high school, your, your couple of final years of high school, I mean, and then you entered really, you know, as you said, you had a tryout at right. You know, you're six foot four at that at age, maybe 17, 18 years old. And a and sterling and, 175 pounds. And, but you're playing the <laughs> but this is, this is what I'm talking about. You're playing the center position at that size. These guys are point guards now. And I was rocking the skyhook, let me tell you, wearing my Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Laker color shoes. Yeah, but I just think it's amazing <laughs> that the way these guys are, I mean, the positions, the athletes, and, and as you said, you were a guy that you maybe dominated down low, you had some skills close to the basket. But these guys, at that same size that you were, they're so incredibly athletic that it shocks me. It is, uh, as I say, it's a different world. I could, I could rock the dunk in the warm-up, but man, once the game got going, I was tired within two minutes. I couldn't jump anymore. I was just pat- inbounding the ball and hanging back to play defense. Different well, world. You had, at least you had your moment. I had, I, which moment was that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for that moment. There must, I, have been, there must have been some game of glory that you still remember and talk about. Yeah, but you know what? If I told you the story right now, first of all, it would sound pathetic uh, because we got guys our age talking about our high school games of glory. That's always kind of sad. And second of all, in retrospect, with some of the stuff guys can do now on the floor, people would hear it and they'd say, yeah, and? <laughs> it's like, well, I thought it was pretty cool at the time. No. Anyway, I'll leave it there. Was, was it, sorry, just a quick, quick question. Was there a three-pointer in your day? A three-pointer? <laughs> uh, no, three was basically my scoring average. <laughs> if I could have got that in one shot. See, and it's best that there wasn't because I was enough of a ball hog that I would have come down the floor. I was not the best player by any stretch on our team, but I would have hoisted up the three every time. Just run up the score. Got to get the stats up. Two steps over center, and I'm bombing away. Oh, yeah. There you go. They would have just called me Chuck. Hell, the glory days. The glory days, indeed. Not really glory-filled, but uh, a lot of fun to think back on them anyway. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. Always appreciate the time. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Pat. 
The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.